Hello, Slate Podcast listeners. I'm here to remind you to take the Slate survey. It will be open through April 1st, and your answers help us make a better Slate. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman. So the other day, when everybody was starting to hunker down at home because of the coronavirus crisis, I saw this article bouncing around online. And you might have caught it too. It was really widely shared. And it was titled, I'm a nun, and I've been social distancing for 29 years. Here are tips for staying at home amid coronavirus fears. I saw this and I I literally laughed out loud. I didn't figuratively lull, I actually like snort laughed. It was by this Dominican nun in Summit, New Jersey, named Sister Mary Catherine Perry. It was really charming, and it was about how to deal with living a life apart. And I I saw it, and I thought to myself, I have to interview this woman, partly because I actually never talked to a nun in my life. You know, I, I grew up a Jewish kid on the Upper West Side of New York. Nuns weren't a big part of my upbringing. I thought it would be fun just to talk about life in a monastery and what that is day to day. And, you know, we've talked about what it is to be a Dominican nun, which a huge part of their job is actually just prayer, a very intensive schedule of prayer, as you'll learn. And also a little bit about, you know, learning to enjoy social distancing and time for yourself. And I think we get into some interesting discussion about faith as well. I hope you enjoy. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Sister Mary Catherine Perry, and I am a Dominican nun at the Monastery of Our Lady of the Rosary in Summit, New Jersey. How long have you been a nun for? I've been a nun for over 29 years. I decided I wanted to interview you after I saw this fabulous article, kind of interview you did with a local paper in New Jersey. And the headline made me laugh really hard, which is, I've been socially distancing myself for 29 years. And here are some tips, because we all are now obviously socially distancing with the coronavirus. And it was such a just smart and charming way to describe the life of a nun and this calling that you have. And I was like, I have to talk to this person. (laughs) (laughs) And so I want to talk to you about what it is like living a sort of isolated life. Mm -hmm. I'm a Jewish kid from the Upper West Side of New York. I've never talked to a nun. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is just an exciting opportunity for me just to get to know what the life of a nun really is. And so before we get into your daily routine, I want to first ask, just how did you become a nun? What was your path here? Well, I'm originally from Massachusetts. New Jersey was sort of like uh, another world, believe it or not. And I grew up Catholic. I think you would call my family rather devout, but that doesn't mean you become a nun, okay? And I was taught by sisters in school for 12 years in school. Again, that doesn't mean you become a nun. And I just felt from a young age, and again, this is not usual, called by the Lord to consecrate my whole life to Him. And it doesn't mean that I did it easily. There was a lot of struggling. There's a lot of fighting. This is something I really wanted to do. Fortunately, when you become a nun, you have many, many years to figure out if this is the right thing. It's a mutual discernment between you and the community. And I found out about our monastery here in New Jersey from a friend who was also discerning her vocation. And I entered, I just turned 22. There's different stages of what we call formation. It's about a year of just 
contacting the community, talking, getting to know each other, if you want to call it dating, and just mutually discerning, is this for you? A community, believe it or not, isn't like dying to get you. They want it to be the right thing for you. They want you to be happy. And maybe being with them is not going to make you happy. And so they don't want you with them. You know? yeah, that makes sense. because <laughs> They don't want like a runaway nun in a no. year's time. They don't That's... want someone running away from anything. Can I ask though, do you remember that first aha moment where you said, yeah, this is the life I want, where you thought this is what's right for me? Oh, I think yeah. it was a lot of different things that just came together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the monastery that I joined here, a lot of it, believe it or not, was a why not. Meeting the community, learning about them. It wasn't like the lights went off and the stars and everything was exciting. It wasn't that for me. Some people it is. And it was sort of like a, just a very slow combination of things. And, and I couldn't find a reason why not to go to the next step. We have what we call a period of aspirancy. It's a discernment where you live with the community for like a month. You just mm-hmm. live with the community. And it was like, okay, I can't think of why I don't want to do this, you know? Is that period like a full, are you, you know, are you wearing the habit and no. doing all the things? No, no. no. So, you're still wearing your makeup, your earrings, your everything. <laughs> really? It's, it's, I was going to ask if it's like a full dress rehearsal, but no, it's yeah. like, so you're sort of living beside them when you're trying it on and you're dipping a toe in the water. Exactly, exactly. And they're doing it also. They're seeing, okay, is this good for her? Does she seem to be someone who's comfortable with us, with this life? Does she seem serious? Does it seem like God is calling her? So then I formally entered the community in 1991. And our first step, it's called postulancy, which comes from the Latin word postulari, which means to ask. And you wear this, well, every community has something a little different, but we have these navy blue jumpers. And if you go to Catholic school, it feels like, here we go again, Catholic school uniform. But you're not a nun. You're just like trying it out. You're called sister because everyone's going to call you sister anyway. So they just call you sister. And that's about a year. And it's just sort of, again, to get to feel it, but mutually just testing it, trying it out, learning what it's really all about. And then after that year, it's when it's really the formal discernment and you receive the habit and you formally become a member of the community, but you still haven't made a commitment. You still haven't made vows. You could leave at any time. The community could ask you to leave at any time. You're on probation a little bit exactly. when, when you're starting out. During that probationary period, do you feel a lot of pressure to sort of impress the nuns around you? It doesn't last. It lasts about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I know people find this so hard to believe. Oh, they see all the rules, all the regulations. There's actually a certain freedom to be mm-hmm. yourself. And the community wants you to be yourself. And so it's not always an easy time because you're seeing things about yourself that you never maybe gave yourself a time to see. It's not always nice. It's not always pleasant. You're growing as a person. You're hopefully growing, becoming more loving, becoming more attentive, more prayerful, hopefully, all these things. Sometimes you feel like you're doing just the opposite. And that's okay. The community knows that. The sisters know that. They've all been there. You are a Dominican nun. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the Dominicans? What is special about the order? Well, we think we're the best. No. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Dominican order, our formal name is the Order of Preachers. We were founded by a man named Dominic de Guzman, St. Dominic, in 1206 in southern France. And originally, he actually founded 
my branch, which is the Contemplative Cloistered Nuns, 10 years before the friars who go around, um, preach, teach, they have like more active ministry. So we're sort of like the behind the scenes praying for them, praying for the world, praying for people, but we're very much a part of their mission. And so we just celebrated our 800th anniversary about 10 years ago, I forget now. We're all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy. You meet a Dominican from anywhere in the world and within 15 seconds, you are family and you have the same strange sense of humor, whatever. It's just strange that if you <laughs> like that, it really is. It's great. <laughs> and when you say you're cloistered, what is that? mean exactly? Does it mean you never get to see the outside world ever? Does it mean, what does that actually entail? Cloistered nun, as opposed to what we also refer to as an apostolic sister, is somebody who lives a life that is, for the most part, separated from what we call the world, separated from ordinary everyday things. And it's not separated because we think the world is bad, that we think everything out there is bad, but because the way of life that we need to live, the intensity, the silence and the prayer means we need to step apart. And we step apart really because we love so much, not because we think it's bad, because it's so good. A power plant, it's, you know, closed off with what you call it, fences and all that, right? Because it's something so good. People who are doing research, they need to step back from everything so they can focus and concentrate. That's kind of the similar idea. So it's because of something that we see as good, not because we're trying to run away. How much time do you spend every day praying? Depending on the day and the sister, five to six hours, if not more. Five to six hours. Yeah. So it's fair to say that prayer is a full-time job. It's our main work. Is this group prayer? Is this silent prayer? What kind of prayer is this? It's both. It's both. We come together as a community seven times a day to pray what's called the liturgy of the hours. It could be 45 minutes. It could be 10 minutes, but we call them each hours. It's singing the Psalms, a scripture reading, and a prayer. So most of our prayer is together in community and is sung. So, Mm -hmm. you know, six o'clock in the morning, we're singing (laughs) with no warm-ups. And we have what we call the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And then we have about two hours, each of us, in private prayer. Whatever that means for each sister, it could be in the chapel, it could be going out for a walk, it could be sitting with scripture. It depends. It's never the same. Can you describe the room where you're praying? What does it look like? We have in a contemplative monastery, a cloister monastery like ours, we have a church, which looks like everybody's churches. It's rather large. And we are actually separated in our area, which is behind the altar. And it's another, if you want to say chapel, but it opens up to the church. And we call that the choir. So we are separate, but we're also present too. And it's an area that only we go to. Our guests, our laity, our friends who come to our chapel do not come into that area. It's just for us. Mm -hmm. And then everything else in the house is sort of our rooms, community room. That's sort of our main gathering area. And we have lots of work rooms. We have a library. I'm in a conference room right now that we use for online classes. Mm -hmm. We have workshop rooms. We have an exercise room. (laughs) You've got the whole setup. Well, you know, I'm realizing 
because if I don't do this, I'm probably going to ask you a lot more interrupting questions later. And so I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm going to kind of interrupt your flow where you were talk, describing your day. And I'm, I'm going to go back and ask something I should have, which is. So tell me about the monastery. How many sisters do you live with? Right now, we are 18 sisters with an average age of 35. So we're a relatively young community. We are expecting a couple of new postulants in the next year. Our sisters come from all over the country. We have one from Canada, one from Australia, one from Haiti, and one from Vietnam who came to the United States and then entered. And our monastery, we have about eight acres of land. Are there parishioners from outside who come to the church or is it just you guys? Normally there are, yes. Right now, you know, the Cardinal has suspended all public masses, so nobody's coming to our chapel, but we have people who come to our chapel every day, on Sundays, all day long, they stop in. For a monastery, it's not just for us, it's also for the people. And so it's for us to be a place for people to come. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Do you teach it all in the monastery or is it just... just No, our branch, we are called contemplatives and cloistered. We don't do active ministry, Mm -hmm. like the teachers and all that. Our life is very simple, very ordinary. And that's why I was saying our main work is prayer. Mm -hmm. And we're not just here for ourselves. Matter of fact, primarily we're not here for ourselves. We're here to be standing before God for all his people. And so the work we do in the monastery is... The ordinary everyday life, and then also work that helps sustain, give us a livelihood. Would I be wrong to say that your job is sort of praying for mankind? Yeah. It's full contact, five hours a day of praying for mankind. It sounds like, who the heck do you think you are? And that's for many of us, this sense of, I don't understand it. I just know that God is calling me to this. I think it's beautiful. It is beautiful. How often do you ever leave? We only leave the monastery for necessary things, like if you have a doctor's appointment, if there's business that you have to take care of that you can't do it otherwise. Sometimes if we're having visitors or guests and we have to go pick them up at the airport, we have monasteries all over the world and we have an interconnectedness that sometimes we have to go to another monastery for a meeting. We don't go home to visit our families. We only visit our families when our parents are elderly or sick and they can't visit the monastery anymore. And then we can have permission to go visit them. But other than that, we stay at the monastery. And believe it or not, we love it. <laughs> we love staying home. <laughs> the ultimate homebodies. <laughs> yeah. I want to get a sense of the rhythm of your day. And I feel we're already getting there. But it sounds like you live an incredibly structured life. Mm-hmm. So... You wake up. What time? 5.20. 5.20. Every day. <laughs> Is there a reason for 5.20? I don't know. It must work. We've been doing it forever. And every time we talk about our schedule, we always go back to 5.20. I think it's because of the time it takes to sing morning prayers and have private prayer afterwards and then mass and yeah. then the, the start of the day. But it works. So it's 5.20 sharp every day, except for 15 minutes late on weekends. Not even Saturday, Saturday, just Sunday. (laughs) What do you do first thing when you wake up? I try to say a quick prayer, thanking the Lord that I woke up, but it's Mm -hmm. it's a half-asleep prayer. I get up, I get dressed. Is that prayer in English or in Latin? 
God's English is just something like, mm-hmm. actually, for me, I take it from the Psalms and I say, oh, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me, because that says it all. Every <laughs> sister has something different. I like that. I might start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, help. That's how I feel when I wake up. It's good enough for me. <laughs> we have about a half hour before our first time of community prayers. And if you want, and many of us do, we go to what we call the refectory, the dining room, get a cup of coffee, something to eat quick. Some sisters, they can't move that fast and they wait till later. But most of us have to have our coffee first thing. And God bless the first sister who comes down and starts the coffee. And at about 6 to 6.40, 6.45, depending on the day, is what we call Office of Readings and Lauds, which is praise. And that's our first time of prayer in the day as a mm-hmm. community. And then we have about 45 minutes after that for silent prayer. And it's a period of time where a sister might, depending on, again, a time of year, she might go out for a walk. She might exercise during that time. She might read. She might just be silent in chapel. There's a lot of freedom, personal freedom for the sisters on how they want to use that time. And then after that, the mass. And then again, another time of, it's about 15 minutes. And it's sort of the prayers that start the day. It's three Psalms. And the whole tenor of it is asking the Lord to help us as we start our day. As though mm-hmm. we have already started it. But anyway. <laughs> you already had mass. And now the prayer really gets started. This is <laughs> That was the, the pregame warm up. It's, it's like you're taking a few shots from the foul line just to get <laughs> loose. And now you're ready for the real prayer. It's because each of these times that we come together in community prayer, they all have a certain theme or tenor for it. It's about what we call making the whole day holy. So the first thing in the morning is we're praising God. We're thanking him for everything. And then we are offering him our day and our life. And then we're saying, okay, now we have to get to work. Help us. That's basically what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And then from about 9 o'clock to 11, 11.45 is when we just do our work. And that could mean anything, depending on the sister. And it's not the same thing every day, which Mm -hmm. is really actually a lot of fun. What kind of work are we talking about? Everybody has a turn in the kitchen. And you're cooking for 18 people. And if you have guests, you're cooking for more. There's a sister who works in the Bursar's office. And we make soap. Right now, we're all laughing about this. Uh, We make soap. (laughs) We make (laughs) candles and hand creams and things like that that we sell. I manage our gift shop. How are the soap sales? They're going up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, this is holy soap. This is really like doubling. Like, is there a job that you more regularly do than others? It's like in a three-year cycle. But then, of course, there's always little changes that we actually have assignments and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I've done so many different things in the monastery. Right now, I manage our gift shop. We have volunteers who actually, you know, run it. Um, But I do all the managing, the ordering and working on the technology and all that. And I enjoy that. Right now it's closed because like everything else is closed. And I'm in charge of, as I always say, we can't get these clothes at Macy's, can't get habits at Macy's, you got to sew your own clothes. And so we have a sewing room. And I actually really love doing that. Yeah, I love to sew. I love to be creative. I've worked in the soap department. Can you describe the soap department? We make soap. (laughs) (laughs) No, I got that. But I mean, like, you've got like a little soap factory. I mean, like, what is... Yes, we do. We do the whole workshop. It's good size compared to where we first started. And we have all the ingredients that we need for making soap. We have these big pots. 
We make hand cream as well, which we do it in these big pots. It looks like we're cooking something. A lot of stuff looks like we're cooking something, to be honest. Does a lot of that get sold in the gift shop too? Or is that that a separate line of business? More online, actually. You guys are sort of e-commerce entrepreneurs as well as... (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It sounds like the order has a very carefully structured three-year chore wheel? Well, the reason why it's three years is because our form of government is not a democracy, but it's very democratic. So every three years we have elections for who our superior is, our prior is. Oh, really? When that gets in place, so it just happened in late fall, and then she just makes all the work assignments. And it's sort of, again, our community life is very democratic. There's a lot of we come together and discuss and decide things together, how we're going to mm. live this life. And so even a lot of work assignments, it's a dialogue and we talk about it. And then she'll go around and say, OK, I was thinking of doing this, this, will this work? And then like the next month, we're, you know, adapting it all and trying to make it like, well, I can't do two things at once kind of thing. You know, she tries to use everybody's gifts. You're not put into a job that you're terrible at. Because you're just going to make everybody else's life miserable. There are 18 of you. So it's like you, if someone's making everyone else mad, that's that's not good. 18 women. Think of yeah. that. <laughs> you do the gift shop now. So you really like that. You kind of like the merchant thing, a little bit of commerce. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. They all run their own businesses. So it's sort of, I think, in my blood. It's, yeah. I like the challenge. Sometimes I don't like it. But most of the time I do. I enjoy it. What, what kind of products do you sell in the gift shop? Our soaps and candles and everything, of course, books, gifts. It's mainly like a religious place, not totally. Mm-hmm. In reality, we put in a full day's work. And then sometimes, because I run the gift shop, I can't work in there during the day when it's open. I can't get anything done. So I will often do things in there after supper at 7 o'clock when the rest of the house is studying. We have a period of time for study. So after gift shop time, what comes next? You mean during the day? Yeah, during the day. Um, In the morning. And then we come together again for a period of prayer before our main meal, which is at about 12, 12, 15. And we have dinner, which for us is a main meal. It's like what people eat at night. And then we do dishes. And then for about 45 minutes, we have what we call recreation. And that means everybody just talks. Because during the day, we try to keep silence, believe it or not. We just talk. We go for walks. We hang out. We sit around. It depends. Someone might say, let's play a game of soccer or basketball. And we just talk, 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 talk. <laughs> Until about 1.30. And yeah. then from 1.30 till 3 is a period of time that we call profound silence. The house gets quiet. 
you're not really supposed to be doing major work. It's sort of like a free time. But when you're living so intensely together, you actually need this time to be apart, if you want to say. It's a time to take a nap. Italians know how to do it, you know? It's a time to take a nap. It's a time to read, maybe work on a hobby, go outside. It's just a very quiet time. We're not supposed to be running loud equipment. We're not supposed to be noise in the house. And that just really helps everybody because you kind of have to agree on these things together or else it won't work, you know? Yeah. So it's just a period of reflection. Yeah, it is. It's just a sort of restful period. What are your hobbies? I have a couple of hobbies. I'm always doing something new. Um, my biggest hobby for the past three years is learning how to make cheese. Uh, what kind <laughs> oh, of cheese have you been making? I make all kinds of cheese. I've been making mozzarella, manchango, cheddar. I just made some cheese last week that's a mold ripening cheese like a brie. I oh. haven't done that. That's kind of a new thing. Regatta. I want to make a Gouda maybe next week if I have time. Um, So that's like a big hobby for me. It's a challenge. Are you sharing that with all the other sisters? Oh, of course. It's for everybody to eat. So you're popular is what you're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) I like to bake. I like to garden. I'm into kind of like everything. You're crafty, sounds like. Crafty is a very good word. Yeah. Yeah. What comes next? And then we come together at three for prayers again. And those are sort of like the prayers of, okay, now we're in the middle of the afternoon, Lord. We really like this day to be over. Help us. (laughs) 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 Sort of. And then we have another work period. Until about 5.15, we come together for what we call the rosary and then evening prayer, which again is Psalms, readings. That's about a half hour, 45 minutes. And then we have our evening meal at about 6, 6.10. It's a lighter meal. Mm-hmm. And then after that, after the dishes, we have about 45 to 50 minutes for study. Dominicans have always been known for pursuing the intellectual life and reading and being well nurtured. And it's also it helps our life of prayer and it helps us as a person. Mm-hmm. It isn't just about getting facts. It's about developing who we are as a person. And when you're living in a closed, intense environment like we are, it's really important to have this type of study. And again, every sister does it a little bit differently. We have five or six sisters right now who are doing online classes. We have a sister who's working on a medieval translation, which I don't know if she'll ever finish it. She's been doing it for a while. That doesn't matter. She's just plowing away at it. You know, we have a couple of sisters who just have a good book they're reading. And it's a serious book you know, that they're reading. It sounds like the meaning of study is sort of up to the individual. The sisters in formation, it's a little different. They have classes, they have homework to do, they have papers to write. Mm -hmm. But once you're older and you're professed, it's really more up to the individual sister. At that point, you've earned your stripes. (laughs) You've earned the habit. All these periods of prayer that you're describing, those happen in the church, correct? What does the church look like on the inside? It's um, what we refer to as semi-Gothic, neo-Gothic. It's Mm -hmm. actually rather simple, but it's stained glass windows. They're rather high up in the outside chapel. Our part of it is more simple. Mm -hmm. Um, We have what we call choir stalls that go around, like in a horseshoe. I'm just picturing it. What do you think about when you pray? Is it just focused on the words? Are you letting your mind wander? (laughs) My mind goes everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I've been doing this for 29 years. I can almost do it all by heart. So sometimes it's harder to 
leave the things I've been doing and thinking about outside the door. And it can take more effort to focus. It's sometimes easier when you're new, you know. And I try to pay attention to the words that I'm singing. I try to really just kind of keep my heart open. And I try to sing these words, not just for myself, but for everybody. And when we're going through periods like we're going through right now, it's amazing how much they speak to you about the situation that you're in. The Psalms really just open up to all the human emotions. And maybe you're not feeling that particular emotion that day or that moment, but you know somebody else is and that you're echoing this for somebody to the Lord. For private prayer, I try to be quiet. I try to be still. I get distracted. And then when I'm aware of it, I just bring myself back. The idea is just to be present to the Lord. You're not going to get a raise for it. (laughs) You don't have to be successful. (laughs) It's like any relationship with someone you love. You're talking to that person, but you're also distracted. But you want to be with them. It sounds a little bit like meditation Mm -hmm. in that you're trying to quiet your mind and focus. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This might be an impolite question, but... Do you ever worry about whether or not God is hearing your prayers? I don't, because I believe in who he is. He is God, and I believe him, and I love him. And he's the one I've given my whole life to. So I have to trust him. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that relationship of trust with God, eh, you might as well leave. (laughs) It sounds like that's so simplistic. But really, it is. When a child trusts their parent, they don't think about it. They just trust them. They just love them. And it's the same thing. It's really not any different. Uh, You are a very loquacious person. That is, (laughs) I can tell you like to laugh. You're very fun. And you spend most of your day, like you said, in silence, active silence. Yep. How do you deal with that? I mean, is that hard for you? No, no, it was when I first became a nun, but I actually, if I don't have that silence, maybe because I'm more of an introvert than people realize, he's <laughs> like, I don't believe it. I actually am an introvert. But the whole community is like this. If you met all the sisters, you would see it. When we are together and we're talking and like in the evening, we have about 45 minutes, we're together. You know, we are loud and we're having a great time. But when we have special days where we have the whole day except for prayer, where it's recreation and community talking, by the end of the day, everyone's exhausted and everybody wants another day of silence. We love being with each other, but we really don't like a lot of it. <laughs> so for you, it's very intense periods of yeah. connecting with other people and then going back to reflection. Right. I can grok that. I can understand that, I think. How often do you see your family? When I was younger, my parents were younger. My mother's dead now. My family would come about twice a year. They would Mm -hmm. come down to Massachusetts. When I first entered, that was hard. It wasn't easy. I think it was harder because there are sisters who come from the area, and so they see their family more often. So it took a while. But actually, I find it advantageous because I feel like I have more freedom that way. I see my dad twice a year. He's quite elderly, and I go up to see him. I may not see my sister for five or six years at a time. Wow. Do you keep in touch otherwise? Yeah, do you call? A bit, not that much. I keep in touch with my dad a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, um, especially since he's older. I try to email him every other day or so. He doesn't like me to call that much because he's hard of hearing, you know. And, and it's really to just make sure he's okay and to keep in touch with him. I would have to imagine that when you started 29 years ago, you guys were 
very disconnected from the outside world. How much technology do you guys use to kind of keep Our up with things? Our monastery is actually quite tech savvy, which surprises people for a number of reasons. We've always kind of been like this. And it's a balance between keeping the traditions and the traditional way of life, but also realizing we're doing this is 2020. And it's always been sort of a tension with monastic life that we're not a museum. You know, we're not Sturbridge Village or Colonial Williamsburg. We're not a museum. We're real, a real place. So to keep the values of separating ourselves for a better, what we see as something good, but also on the other hand, realizing we're still part of the world. And we don't watch TV. We get a newspaper, but at this point, just the older sisters read the newspaper. Uh, (laughs) Again, it's something that's part of our formation and also something that each individual sister has to work out for herself. Uh, We might go online, see what the news is. Do you guys use like Facebook or Twitter or? We do. We have a community account and we, some of us have private accounts, but we don't engage in it. We just kind of passively use it. You guys are lurkers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like to think that there's like a nun out there who's like on Reddit. Because Uh, we don't want to waste our time in that. Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) Fair enough. No, no, no started it's kind of like oh fine and we realized this is great we can waste a lot of time doing this that'll really mess with your reflection time here's what i'm wondering you've been doing this for about three decades now does it feel less isolated than it did before in the 90s i'm not sure if it's we feel more connected i think like everybody else in the world we're more aware of too much going on in too many places if you want to say that Mm -hmm. Because we always had a good relationship with the friends of the monastery. You know a lot what's going on just by talking to people. People come to the monastery all the time to talk to sister, to ask. They call up for prayers. And so you do get to know a lot that way about what's going on, if you want to say, out in the world. I think it's changed, and it's changed for everybody, right? Look at what we're doing right now to have this ability to Mm -hmm. um, connect in ways that you know, even let's say five, 10 years ago, this was not that easy to do. Yeah. yeah. A lot of glitches, right? You could do it, but so in some ways, yes, in some ways it hasn't changed. It's just different in many ways. How did you become accustomed to not seeing the outside world? Was it just staying at the monastery and just over time getting used to it or did it take some active effort? Um, I don't remember it being that difficult. Mm -hmm. I think, You know, you get so immersed in this thing you're doing, this new thing you're doing, and that you just, this is your world. When you're new, especially, it's so new. It's sort of like another universe, you know? It's so exciting. It's like two people are in love, you know? Nobody else exists in the world. It's kind of that same idea. And it's your new family, and you're just learning so many new things. And, you know, the refrain from young sisters so many times is, I had no idea I'd be doing this in my life. I had no idea I'd be learning how to do this. I never thought I would be doing this. And so there's a lot of excitement and you just kind of get used to it and you kind of want it. For people who are now trying to learn to live in a little bit more isolation than they're used to, or just live with just their own silence and thoughts in a way that they may not have you know, if they're not staring at their phone constantly, they've got. <laughs> what advice do you have for people who are kind of trying to get used to this feeling as we all deal with this slightly scary new world? It's scary for a lot of people. We know, we understand that. I think my first thing would be don't be afraid of it. 
it could be an exciting time to learn so much, to learn new things. If you're in a family or you're with roommates, to get to know people at a deeper level, I think people are going to find levels of creativity they just never really had to call on and use. Don't waste this time. This could be a really wonderful time for you, even if it is slightly frustrating. And also, I think, you know, be patient with yourself. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. Create some kind of structure for yourself, some kind of schedule. And you may have to adjust it, but don't just like, or else you're going to be so miserable. You are, you know, you know, if there's something that you've been anxious to learn how to do, take this time to do it. People are always saying, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. I don't have my time. I don't know. You know, well, maybe now you have that time. Take yeah. advantage of it. What is the most annoying question you tend to get about your job? <laughs> what is your least favorite question? My least favorite question about my job, which is my way of life, is probably, believe it or not, what people will say is, don't you think you're wasting your life? People really ask that? They don't just ask it. They tell me. They tell us. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that just from people who aren't themselves believers or is it? Everybody. It's everybody. Don't you think you could be using your life better if you weren't in the monastery? That's what people will often say. Yeah. What do you, that's, I mean, I wouldn't be upset if someone like asked me that as a blogger. <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, kind of like an online carnival barker. Like, I get that if someone asks me if I'm wasting my life. But like, but that's kind of start. I mean, what do you do you mind? What do you say to that person? Well, I try to tell people first off, just on a regular every day, how often do people say that to people who are living a life that they are happy in and find meaningful? They don't usually say that. And second, who are you to say that I'm wasting my life? You know, yeah because I'm not. And I try to be charitable in my answers <laughs> yeah. um, and try to get to open them up to understand that this isn't, on first glance, it might look like a quote unquote selfish life, but it's not. And it's a very rich and it's a very fulfilling life. I really wish people had the, the joy and the freedom that I experience. That's what you will hear from all the sisters. Since you joined the monastery, have you ever had doubts about the decision? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> I think it's good. I think that's necessary. I had doubts. But on the other hand, I also had this very strong sense that this is something I'm meant to do. And that this is where I'm going to be happy. I think the doubts came more, they weren't more doubts, they were more mm, periods of selfishness. <laughs> were there moments where you're just like, I don't need to do silent prayer again today. Is this, is no, this really, or is it? No, like, I think it was more like this challenge of trying to learn how to live with and love 18, you know, whatever women is I've had it with this business. I don't want this anymore. God is not the problem. Prayer is not the problem. However, the 18 other people in your life are, <laughs> okay, now I'm getting the introvert thing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because don't forget, we come from all over the place. And a couple of years ago, some of us never even knew each other. And all of a sudden, we're becoming this communion, this cohesive whole, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences, different generations. So it's hard work to try to live in harmony and unity 
There's a lot of having to give up what you think is the right thing to do or what you think is the right thing in a certain circumstance. Maybe you're right, but nobody else wants it that way. Yeah. It's a democracy, but sometimes living in a democracy means you get voted down. Like when you've got opinions about something. (laughs) They'll keep the opinion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you should Uh, also work for what everyone's decided for. You know, once it's been decided and say, okay, this is still what I would do, but we've all decided this. So this should become my part of my decision too. Sister Mary Catherine, thank you so much for taking some time to connect and to chat. Thank you. This has been fun. That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And otherwise, just send us an email. It's working at Slate.com. Working is produced by Rosemary Belson. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. I'm Jordan Weissman. Catch us next week. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.